Our scripture this morning is from the letter to the Philippians, Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21, as we continue our study through the book of Philippians. If you would please stand for the reading of scripture, and while you're turning, let me uh, uh, invite the uh, elders. We need to have a a brief meeting uh, in the conference room behind the choir uh, to finish some unfinished business from earlier this morning after church. All right. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. May God add his richest blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you... Pray with me, please. Again, our Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful uh, that you have spoken to us. We're thankful that you have given us your Son. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And we're thankful that your word is able to make us wise unto salvation, which is by faith in Jesus Christ. And so we pray that as... We hear your word together that we would go to Jesus Christ for he alone has the words of eternal life. Lord, I cannot speak this way. And so we pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit you would come, that you would speak to us, that you would show us our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ high and lifted up, that you would open our ears, that our sheep would hear the voice of the good shepherd and follow him and know him and offer ourselves to him promptly and sincerely. So meet with us and bless us, we pray, in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. Citizens of heaven and enemies of the cross, we have an appropriate passage on this day that we receive a new class of uh, communicant members who have been raised in this church, have been raised in Christian homes and have this very day uh, made their uh, public profession of faith before uh, the elders and are presented to this uh, congregation. Making a public personal commitment to unite with and support the church of Jesus Christ. Paul, in this passage, is telling the Philippians some very practical things about living as members of the church of Jesus Christ. Now let's get to it. First in this passage, he gives us examples to follow. Examples to follow. Look at verse 17. 
Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Who's he talking about? He says, imitate me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Who are these people? We're to keep our eyes on. Go back to verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I am not perfect. I have not arrived. Paul knows he is not there yet, but he is pressing on, straining toward the goal. And so this morning to our newest members and to all of us, we need to look for examples to follow people to look up to. People, Paul says in verse 17, to imitate. This is one reason why God has brought us together in the church. What do you look for in someone to follow? Someone to imitate? Paul says, look for someone who does not think too much of himself or herself. Look for somebody who knows they're not perfect. The person who thinks that they're there, they have arrived, they are not pressing on. They have not forgotten what lies behind and straining for more. I have a friend who likes to say it's a sad day when a man can't learn something new. Look for someone to follow who does more listening than talking. It's better to, you all know, it's better to keep your mouth shut and be thought of fool. We're going to open your mouth and remove all doubt. A person who is listening is trying to learn something. A person who is always talking, they think they already know everything. They may not realize it, but they do. Don't follow someone who thinks he's superior, comparing himself to other people all the time. Paul says, I have not arrived. I have not already obtained the goal of perfection. He's talking about conformity to Jesus Christ. That is God's destiny for His people. 
He predestined his people to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That is God's plan and purpose and destiny for each one of his people. Paul is not looking to other people. He is looking to the one to whom he is to be conformed to Jesus Christ. And therefore he sees how far he has to go. And as we press on towards conformity to the image of Jesus Christ, God has blessed us with people with examples to follow. And this is what they look like. They are people who know they have not yet arrived. So you see examples to follow. Secondly, in this passage, you see enemies to weep over. Enemies to weep over. Look at verse 18. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. This is strong words here. He says they're people who are enemies of the cross. What, who are they? Go back to verse 2, Philippians 3, 2. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. You remember if you were here when we looked at that passage a couple weeks ago, we saw Paul was talking about these this group, these folk called the Judaizers who were teaching that one had to be circumcised to be saved. See, an enemy of the cross, the people you got to look out for, are folks who believe there is something that we have to do to be saved. A person who believes that there is something that we have to add to Jesus to be saved. These folk Paul was warning about in Philippi were teaching that it is not enough to have faith in Jesus Christ to be saved. You must have faith in Jesus Christ plus something else, particularly had to be circumcised. We're saved by faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. We talked about that a lot in our our class. You had to answer that question to join this church. Do you trust Him, Jesus, alone for your salvation? Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. There is absolutely nothing that we add to salvation. The only thing we bring is sin. The sin for which he died. 
person who believes that anything we do, any good we do in any way whatsoever contributes to our salvation is an enemy of the cross. Why? Because it destroys it. If you add to it, you destroy it. The formula is perfect. It is done. To add one more ingredient will completely bring it to nothing. This is why we need to follow people who don't think that they have arrived, who don't think that they are perfect. They are not adding to the cross. You see, the person who thinks he has arrived is a person who no longer needs the blood of the Son of God. Notice Paul's attitude, though, about these enemies of the cross. It says in verse 18 that he weeps over have tears. Yesterday morning, taking my children to their t-ball game, and my wife looked at the driveway next door and said I was missing an opportunity. I was going to have to miss an opportunity since I was leaving the house to take my children to t-ball. I said, what are you talking about? She pointed some folk were knocking on my neighbor's door on Saturday morning, well-dressed, very polite, waving at all of us. I like to visit with them when they come. I did not get to yesterday. Really nice people. Nicer than most Christians, (laughs) But they're going to tell. They're going to tell me that it's not enough to trust Jesus Christ. Never mind he's not God, not even getting that far yet. They're going to tell me there's something I have to do and I'm saved by what I do plus Jesus. To teach that is to make you an enemy of the cross. But Paul doesn't say to ridicule them, to be mean or hateful to them. Paul says, I'm weeping over them. So you see examples to follow. (coughs) You see enemies to weep over. And thirdly and finally in this passage, you see an expectation that controls An expectation that controls. Look at verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, Paul is writing, you look at the opening verse of the book of Philippians, he's writing to people in Philippi. They are citizens of Philippi. They're a church in Philippi. They're organized in Philippi, but he tells them that our citizenship is in heaven. We already belong to heaven. We are not there yet, but we already belong. Three years, three longest years of my life, I lived in the state of Mississippi. <laughs> but I was a Carolinian. I wore a tire, one that was about like it every single Sunday to let them know I was a Carolinian. We're here. But our citizenship is in heaven. This is why we must add nothing to the cross. Because the cross is the only way to heaven. Scripture says the cross is an offense. To this world. The cross demonstrates the depravity, the evil, the sinfulness, the unworthiness of the human race. The cross means there is nothing I can do. but it is the only way. And for those who will hold and cling to the old rugged cross so despised by the world, who will add nothing to it, Scripture says, we're going home one day. Look at the middle of verse 20. From it, from heaven, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. A Christian lives in hope of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And anyone, any pastor, any church that does not teach in the second, the second coming of Jesus Christ is not teaching Christianity. A Christian has no true hope prior to to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Not in this world. No hope, no true hope in this world. Not in the government. Not what man can do. There will be no utopia on this world. A true Christian has hope in and only in 
the second coming of Jesus Christ. I hear even in evangelical, reformed Christian circles these days, a lot of talk about redeeming the culture and the world around us. There will be no redemption for the world until the second coming of Jesus Christ. Paul says he's not perfect. He has not arrived, but is straining to the goal, the goal of perfection, of being like Jesus. He says, find somebody to follow who is straining for perfection because he knows he's so far from it. And the goal is being like Jesus. When will that happen? What does verse 21 say? That when Jesus comes again, He will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. We will be made perfect then and only then. When He comes again and finally even our bodies will be made perfect conformed to the image of our risen Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, you live in Philippi, but you live in Philippi as a citizen of heaven looking for a Savior who is coming. This expectation for the future controls our life in the present. I'll leave you with an old preacher's story. There's a few old preachers here today. I'm sure they've used it. Story goes around the turn of the century, and when us old preachers learned that, the turn of the century was at the end of the 1800s. There was this great preacher, Dr. Morrison was his name, and he wanted to go and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to every nation to which he could make it in those days. And so he went on a long preaching tour, went all around the world for years, was a Lonely, austere existence. His last stop on his worldwide preaching tour was in Africa. He came home on a ship. It so happened that Teddy Roosevelt was on the same ship. He had been big game hunting in Africa. Ship came to port. New York, and there was a great reception waiting for Teddy Roosevelt. The band was playing, the masses had come out to welcome the president, and they gave him a ticker tape parade down the streets of New York City. Old Dr. Morrison got off the ship. 
There was not a soul to greet him. And finally, Dr. Morrison made it to the train station carrying his bags and took the train to his home. And when he arrived in his small town, there was no one there at the depot. He got off the train, picked up his heavy bags and looked around, and he was all alone. And as the cold autumn wind blew across his face, and he picked up his heavy bags to walk home alone, he muttered, Lord, Teddy Roosevelt went to Africa to hunt lions and they gave him a parade. And I've given my life to preach the gospel to the glory of your son. And now I've come home and there's no one to meet me. And he said that just then, no sooner had he mumbled those words under his breath. And he heard these words in the cool breeze. You're not home yet. Our citizenship is in heaven. There is only one way to heaven, and that is the cross. Let nothing come between you and your home. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen.